From the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, this is Lily Richard with a quick update on what's happening at COP27. It's November 10th, and we're partway through the first week of the conference. IATP's Sophia Murphy and Shafali Sharma are on the ground in Sharm el-Sheikh, and they have been busy. I spoke with them yesterday, but I wasn't able to save the audio from our call. Reliable Wi-Fi and cell phone service are hard to come by at the conference site. So are bathrooms, trash cans, and food and water. With thousands of people gathered in one place, the conference is a huge human undertaking and kind of a logistical nightmare that also has major consequences for the future of our planet. Sophia sent me a recorded message early this morning about her experience so far, so I'm going to hand it over to her. Greetings from Sharm El Sheikh. I've woken up on my sixth day in Egypt and fifth day of the COP and feeling ready to go. Easier in the morning than in the evening to feel energized. The whole experience is quite overwhelming, even though I've been to many UN conferences, so at least had some idea about how the different NGO meetings might go and what the pattern is of government negotiation with the constantly changing agenda and room changes and all of those things. I'd say it's been a bit of a frustrating experience in that a lot of the simple things that can make uh, the difference in how you feel about the day haven't been all that well addressed here. So you tend to be looking for water because it's not um, everywhere you need it. The queues to get food are absurdly long so that many people just go through the day grazing on on biscuits or, or, or nuts that they've picked up from a supermarket elsewhere. Um, it's hard to find a bathroom the, the queues are long, especially there are not enough women's bathrooms um, on the site. And so all of those things, also also it's hard to navigate. There's been, you eventually figure out the mental map now on day five, it all makes sense, but it's been very difficult to find your way to places. So in a more serious way, I think, you, you know, it, everyone tells you what it's going to be. And when you see it for yourself, you see it's true. The, there certainly is a whole trade fair dimension to the conference where people are trying to sell the products that they've got that they think will make a difference to the climate. There are all the interest groups here fighting to protect what they believe to be right um, or fighting to protect their bottom line, depending on who they are. There's a lot of show and tell. All the UN agencies are here. You could go to side events from 8 in the morning until 8 o'clock at night. There's a huge number of people. I think there was some expectation before we started that there maybe wouldn't be as many people in Egypt as at some cops, but I would say that has not been borne out. There certainly seem to be tens of thousands of people here. I guess one of the most exciting things from our point of view at IATP is that there was a, a fairly good, if not flawless, report from a group that's been advising the UN Secretary General that has come out clearly calling out the non-state actors, which that includes multinational corporations like Coca-Cola or Nestle. And that report calls out the need for real commitments and suggesting that a lot of the net zero plans we've seen are not that. They're not commitments to mitigate, to cut emissions, um, and then to clean up the activity that's left. So, So that was good. That was hopeful. That was two days ago now. Um, the report isn't perfect. No report is. It's an, it's an expert, you know, a compromise position from an expert group in a highly political situation. But it is by far the strongest statement we've had directly from the UN. On a less positive note, those of us who are tracking this 
Article 6, sorry, of the whole Paris Agreement. In Article 6.4, they deal with the market mechanisms for how different countries will count and trade off their mitigation efforts, which is then where things like carbon markets get inserted and where they deal with removals. What, what counts as removing carbon from the atmosphere? And yet, although it's fraught and the science is very clear that you have to be careful and what, much of what you count actually isn't a real contribution to our long-term goal of, of removing carbon from the atmosphere, recommendations from the group, the subsidiary body that was responsible for making a recommendation to the governments who govern, govern the framework convention on climate change, that's come through wide open, allowing anything to count as a removal. And so we spent some of the week talking to governments about why that's simply unacceptable. And I guess that's, that's a bit the tension of the whole experience here, that you on the one hand will hear an amazing story or see an important initiative or even hear a government that you didn't expect to take a strong line, do the right thing. And then on the other hand, you'll see the sort of, as I started out saying, the stonewalling of developed countries refusing to, to put their money into the changes that we have to make to recover. For, for many countries, it's, it's simply that there is no recovery. Their island is going under, their shores are, are battered by storms, and they're having to build whole new infrastructure to live in this new world. Maybe that's one of the things that I've also thought about since coming here, about how climate change is upon us. For, much, for, for many millions of people in the world, it's not something that has anything to do with 2030 or 2050. It's here and now made where they live unlivable or made their livelihood impossible. And you can see how reluctant developed countries are to, to acknowledge that. Um, in the context of the negotiations, they'll say everything you like on a side panel, but they're not going to admit to it in a place where they then might be held accountable for putting some money forward um, and trying to, to also make the changes. It's, it's, I guess, about two things. There's the money, but there's also the way we need to change how we behave. So in these last few days, I'm, I'm expecting more of the same, finishing exhausted on, on Saturday. My last day Saturday is actually the Agriculture Day, which is the day that's both um, dedicated to agriculture. There's sort of themed days here, and that's the Agriculture Day. It's also the methane um, day, picking up on the methane pledge. There'll be some kind of summit one year on. There'll be probably something to show around the oil um, gas, energy sector on methane. Don't expect anything much to show on agriculture, sadly. Um, and I'm not sure about waste. That's the third sector. Of course, IETP has been um, actually releasing, it is about to release its report that counts the methane emission from particular meat and dairy companies, the largest in the world and, and, and the scale of their emissions. But I'm expecting there'll be more announcements, maybe something positive about what will be done. We haven't seen a lot of activity in this year from the governments who signed the pledge. And actually just reducing methane is tricky. It's one of the other things that's, that's clear to me about climate change and food and agriculture, that if you try and reduce it to, say, carbon removals or methane reduction, you're entirely missing the systems that food and agriculture operate within. And, and you're probably going to disrupt other things in the, in the system if you only focus on one, one gas or, or one target. So there'll be that kind of planning and looking ahead. And all of those who are staying here will probably be looking for a quiet weekend in order to have the energy for next week's negotiations. 
there's no sense yet that there'll be a big breakthrough in those negotiations. It's a bit early to tell if that's true or not. But certainly on the finance side, as I've said, there's no sign that there's a big breakthrough coming. I'm looking forward to getting home and recovering, but also to making sense of it. I think it's hard to do on the spot. Um, so trying to capture some of my impressions now, but also looking forward to having a bit of time to digest and maybe talk with others about what they found it. It is very much like the proverbial elephant and very difficult to grasp the entirety of the beast when you only have your, your hand out on one part of it. Um, so I think it, it is also something you can make sense of collectively. And I'm looking forward to that, that debrief um, when I get back to Minneapolis. Take care. We'll be bringing you more updates from the COP as they come in, and a final episode in our Talking COP27 series two weeks after the conference wraps up. For more information about COP27, including a rundown on Article 6.4 and our forthcoming Emissions Impossible report about the methane emissions of the largest global meat and dairy companies, visit our COP27 web hub at iatp.org cop27-2022.